Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. It's okay to talk about emotions. It's okay to recognize the emotions in others and in yourself and manage them. The more you become self-aware, the more you realize the impact that you have on others and others can have on you. A relationship goes back to family, friends. It's a two-way thing, isn't it? It's about compromise. It's about not getting all your own way. I mean, to be fair, highway robbery is a form of relationship, (laughs) speaking. It becomes about change. How well do you deal with change? And how well can you motivate yourself? Just before we start the show, I wanted to apologize for the quality of my voice recording today. Uh, We had a few technical problems that we've now overcome. We hope it doesn't affect your enjoyment and particularly your learning, because this, I think, is a good episode. Cheers. So, Colin, I've been studying behavioral science in some form for more than 20 years at this point. I make no claims at having an exhaustive knowledge. It seems like I'm always finding little holes in my understanding of things as I learn more and more. And I remember many years ago, I went and um, gave a talk somewhere and was speaking afterwards with somebody from a, a different field of research. And we stumbled upon this topic of emotional intelligence. And I hadn't heard of it at that point. And I was I was very excited about it. And I, I remember emailing you and saying, hey, have you heard about this? This is really exciting. And this seems like something you'd be interested in. And if I recall, your response was something along the lines of, yeah, this is a really old idea. But I can Where have you been for the last 50 years? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was the last time I, I said anything to you about anything, as I recall. <laughs> No, this was this was a hole in my education. I had never heard of emotional intelligence, and um, you were helpful enough to to point me towards several books that had been written on it. You said that you'd done some work on it yourself and uh, training and so on. So, I'm going to sit at your feet today, Colin, and and you are going to inform me about emotional intelligence, what it is, and where it came from. So, why don't we start with a definition? Can you explain to me and any of our audience that is as ignorant as I am? What is emotional intelligence? I'm not sure about the as ignorant as you are, because, I mean, that would just take us a lot longer to... This episode would last for four hours now, mate. We we don't want to uh, insult our listeners, is what you're saying? (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, we can't go that basic, basically. No, that's true. All right. Yeah. So emotional intelligence is something I've been into for some time, and I'll tell you a couple of war stories about it as we go. But emotional intelligence is discovered, if you like, by a guy called Daniel Goldman. And he basically discovered that you've effectively got two forms of intelligence. You have the IQ, which is effectively how fast your brain works and all that type of stuff. And we know that that gets measured through tests and IQ tests, et cetera. But he also discovered that you've got EQ. Okay, emotional intelligence. And 
what the interesting bit that really sort of fascinated me was that when you look at the best leaders in the world or people who are the most successful leaders in the world, then they tend to be people with a higher level of EQ than they do IQ, okay? And if I was to sort of sum it up, it's really about how well do you get on with people? So let's go through the five things, they call them realms, of emotional intelligence, okay? So the first one is knowing your emotions. And this, hopefully, everyone will start to get to understand, really plays into customer experience, particularly customer service, and particularly the emotional side of all of this stuff as we've talked about. So knowing your emotions is effectively knowing how you feel. So recognizing I'm feeling stressed, I'm feeling annoyed, I'm feeling happy. So it's knowing how you feel as an individual. Make sense? Can you describe, if you know, what that looks like when someone doesn't know their emotions? Are they not feeling it or are they are they feeling it and they just are not able to label it or are they not recognizing it? Like, what does that mean? So if I think of the journey that I've been on over the years, one of the things that I, I believe I've become good at is understanding myself. And one of the things as a leader I was taught is if you want to lead people, the first thing you have to do is understand yourself. And when I first heard that, I thought, I don't really, what, why is that the case? And this all gets tied up into this emotional intelligence piece. But let me go back to your question. Clearly, people feel things, but don't necessarily stop and think, what am I feeling and why am I feeling it? So let me give you an example of that, which I hadn't intended talking about, but I think it touches on your question. So, you know, recently I've lost a lot of weight. And, you know, we had the conversation about the fact that that actually when you start to look at it, a lot of eating is not because you're hungry, but because of how you're feeling. So I'm feeling particularly happy. I'm going to go out and celebrate. I'm feeling particularly sad. I'm going to eat a bar of chocolate. Yeah. And therefore, as a consequence, I'm eating something. If you haven't got that level of in intelligence to then turn around and say because what goes through your brain is i want a bar of chocolate right go straight to the action yeah you're not associating it with the fact that you're upset colin you're having a down day and therefore you're doing that just because that will make you feel a bit better or you think it will make you feel a bit better so it's the ability to be able to turn around and say i'm feeling this and this is where it comes into this next one, which is actually quite good in terms of bullet points under Goldman, which is then the managing of your emotions. First step is going, do I know what I'm thinking and feeling? And clearly, if you're raging, then you know you're angry. You know, if you're jumping up and down and you're happy, you know you're happy. But it's more of those subtle things. 
a part of, of reading on emotional intelligence, are there rec- a lot of recommendations for like therapy for this first stage? Like that? Are you talking about me for me personally? For, well, yeah, well, for you, I've, I've got recommendations, Colin. Um, there, you should find a certified letter in the mail for me any day now. No, no, I just, in terms of my perceptions are that's one of the primary benefits of therapy is kind of guided introspection through what you're feeling and recognizing that and learning to articulate it. I don't know if that's like a, a, a part of emotional intelligence discussions where like, yeah, this is actually kind of the first foundational step. So let me tell you a story. 30 years ago, I was a middle manager in um, large corporate. And I was actually at the time, I was running a training team, middle manager. And I went on a 360 degree feedback event, which basically was a week's training where before you went, you got your team and some others to fill out a questionnaire about you. You then went along to this event. There were a load of tasks and you led the event. You were a participant in some of them. You were leading some of them, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the end of it, they brought it all together and they basically went, this is what we've seen you do this week. This is what your peers are telling you. This is what your team are telling you. This is effectively what you look like. One of the most interesting things for me was I didn't recognize the person that they were describing because I didn't think I was like that. Better or worse or worse? Both. Well, worse and better. So the worst part was I was saying and doing things that people, that I hadn't intended to impact people in that way. Nothing major. As someone with kind of a sarcastic sense of humor, I, I've been on it. I've had yes. similar experiences in my past where it made me reevaluate. Yeah. Yes. So things that you say and do and the way that you say and do them and the way they're then perceived by others is not necessarily what you intend them to perceive. So you and I muck about, okay, and we take, as we would say in England, we take the mickey out of each other. We take the rise out of each other, okay? We know that we don't mean it. It's just a laugh, okay? You can't do that with everybody. And particularly if you meet someone new, you can't do it straight away. And, you know, I've often said to people, you know, when I like you, because I start taking the mickey out of you. Right. Yeah. You know? I would never do that with somebody I don't actually like. Yeah. yeah. Because, and, and there are some people, and I'm sure you've had the same way you've said something and you've thought, oh, blown, I shouldn't have said that. Because they've misinterpreted, they didn't realize that I was joking with them. It's actually quite interesting talking about this because. I find the same applies in cultures. So the British humor and the American humor, I've learned that sometimes if I say something to somebody, they take it literally as opposed to going, well, in England, they'd go, yeah, we know you're joking, basically. So the the long and short of it to answer your question is it took me going through that to realize the effect I was having and to then turn around and go, actually, if I want to move on and upwards through the ranks and 
everything else, I've got to realize the impact that I have on others. And this goes back to number, and we've only got to number two in the list of five things. I've then got to manage my emotions. So uh, situation may be, I'm really frustrated with one other team about something. I can't show my frustration. I have to manage that because if I'm frustrated, the danger is that the person will pick up I'm frustrated and it won't motivate them to make the changes that we need to make. What I like already about this conceptualization, intellectual intelligence tends to be thought of as a chronic trait. You're either kind of born smart or you're not, and there's not a lot you can do about it. I don't, I don't think that that's actually factually correct, but that's the way generally people think about it. It sounds like for the, you know, each of these five dimensions, five realms, there are things we can do to work on it. You know, if you are currently not very good at identifying your emotional states or at managing your emotions, there's help. You can't, you are not stuck there. You are not born permanently emotionally intelligent or not. Although I'm sure some people are intuitively better at it than others. And all of that is true. So clearly some people are born with more emotional intelligence than others. Some people not repress it, but you can learn it and you can realize what you're doing and why you're doing it and therefore change things. And whilst we're talking about that, I mean, let me tell you another story. So when I learned about this years ago, I thought to myself, this was like two years later after I um, was a middle manager and I'm now more of a senior manager. I'm running call centers. I've got thousand people working for me, you know, whole structure. And we've got 20 call centers and we're trying to reduce them to four call centers to save cost. And therefore, it means creating these big four call centers, moving people into the area. Because we were doing that, we went what's called front office, back office working. So this is customer service. So whereas before, somebody in the front office was spending their time taking a call from a customer, customer process and put a fault in process and order, they would do all of that. We decided that it would be more efficient to do front office, back office. So back office basically sit on the computer and do all the processing work and front office talks to the customer. And I thought to myself, this is an ideal opportunity to make sure that we've got the right people in the right job. And I thought, yeah, so how do we do that? We engaged a consultancy company who effectively put together a psychometric test that linked to the emotions that we were trying to evoke. So we had defined the emotions that we were trying to evoke, and we now created a psychometric test to test what the levels of emotional engagement, emotional intelligence with individuals. And we basically said to people, if you want a job in the front office, that's fine. You got to take this test. If you want a job in the back office, that's fine. You can just effectively go there. Here's the, the stat that blew me away. We went through that process. Over 50% of the people 
who chose to go into the front office failed the test, 50%. So that immediately told me I had 50% of the wrong people dealing with customers prior to that. Which doesn't surprise you until you're a customer trying to engage with service personnel. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, no, that makes sense. It also doesn't surprise me when I then start simple things like saying to people prior to that change, why are you emailing the customer? Why are you not phoning them and talking to them? Because that's how you build a relationship. And we were in the B2B side of things. So building relationship was key. Why are you doing everything you possibly can not to talk to the customer when your job is to talk to the customer? And afterwards, I realized they didn't want to talk to the customer because, and that's fine because they were the wrong person to be in the front line. I think I told you the other, the other week, I went into Publix, who are clearly renowned for their customer experience. This is a, a grocery store chain in the a grocery store, the, thank uh, you. Southeast. Yeah. Yeah. And they're renowned for their customer experience. And we were checking out, and the guy behind the counter didn't say a word. We started packing our bags, which is unusual because they normally pack one. We started packing our bags and I stood there at the end and Lorraine, my wife, was with me and she said, he wants you to pay your money. And I said, well, I was waiting for him to say it's, you know, X amount of dollars and he didn't say a bloody word. And I actually turned around to him and I said, do you realize you've done the whole of that transaction without saying anything? And he said, yes, I didn't need to. But the point I'm making is, Public shouldn't have employed him. And I worry that in the environment that we're in today, that too many organizations are just getting bodies in rather than getting the right bodies in. But that's just another issue. Or alternatively, I mean, I've I worked in a grocery store before. There are jobs that are not customer facing and Correct. that we could have put them in. Or alternatively, as we just mentioned, these things can be trained. And so... Like just dropping somebody in and assuming they're intuitively going to get this stuff, I think is not appropriate. Yes. Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. So let's go back. So number one is know your emotions. How am I feeling? What am I feeling? And and moreover, why am I feeling that? And what is it am I doing as a result of those things? That really can give you insight, and not just to yourself, but then start to think about it from the customer's perspective. How are they feeling? What are they doing? Managing your emotions, number two. Number three is motivating yourself. So this bit is about how good you are, you know, that favorite, I love that Japanese quote of knock down seven, stand up eight. How well can you turn around and say, actually, the world's against me. I'm still going to get up and I'm going to move on. How well can you do that? Or do you get just depressed and Start blaming everybody else for the situation that you're in and all the rest of it. It's about motivating yourself. That's so interesting. I, I apologize. I don't want us to get totally bogged down on each of these. 
But it's interesting to me that motivation would be considered a form of emotional intelligence because in the psychology literature, motivations and emotions are, are two separate streams of research. And so it's interesting that in this kind of model, motivation is, is a part of, of emotion. That's very interesting. So the interesting one here is it becomes about change. How well do you deal with change and how well can you motivate yourself? So we did a podcast a little while ago. We'll put a link in the show notes about the good news about a recession. And I've genuinely always looked at reorganizations in corporate companies when I was there as opportunities not threats. There's a change that's happening in the company. Yeah, there's a chance that I may lose my job. But you know what? There's lots of other gaps that are appearing and in jobs that they need people for. And therefore, this is an opportunity for me to position myself in a better way than just moaning about the fact that they're getting rid of people, basically. So it's do you motivate yourself? And I think that is tied into the outlook that you have on life and therefore what you do when I'm thinking about it now, and maybe this comes under managing your emotions. My daughter-in-law is a psychologist, so she may not appreciate me saying this, but how when you start to feel those negative emotions that you say, no, I'm not going to feel that, I'm going to replace that feeling with, I'm not going to let the bastards grind me down. I'm going to come out fighting. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that and motivate myself. There's a friend of mine who shall remain nameless that I've known since I was a kid. He is probably more intelligent than I am. If he took the school grades, then he certainly was. What he lacks is the application to motivate himself. So I work harder than he does. If he worked the same degree that I did, he'd be more successful than I am. And that's where I would put this motivation thing under. Does it make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can understand it. Like um, clearly self-regulation would be a part of understanding yourself and motivating it. I just, it, it was surprising to me when I saw it. So, yeah. Interesting. Number four is, and this is another key one, recognizing and understanding other people's emotions. So not just saying, how am I feeling, but recognizing, and this to a certain extent is empathy, isn't it? You know, it's going, listen to this call, this customer is upset. You've heard me say, and the training that you and I have done together, you walk in at night, you shout hello to Lorraine, my wife, and within a one-word response, you can tell how she's feeling. So we know the people close to us, we know how they're feeling. You know, but do how well are you are good at recognizing that? And those people with a high degree of emotional intelligence, how well do they recognize that? So going back to that public guy, the way that I was standing, the way that I was probably putting the food into the bag and then putting the bag into the trolley 
and the way that I stood there waiting for him to tell me what the thing was, if he had any form of emotional intelligence, he would have picked up the signals that I was a bit annoyed and a bit frustrated with him. And if I go back to my story at the beginning, which was, you know, when I did that 360-degree feedback, what I learned was people could tell when I was annoyed. People could tell when I didn't know what I was doing. People could tell when all those sort of positive and negative things, but mainly negative things at that point, and therefore the impact. So can you recognize that? And if I talk about it as a leader, I always remember I had, when I was running contact centers, I had this young lady who was getting married. And the job that we had was hard. There was a lot of pressure on her at the time. But she was getting married, and she was getting married in three days' time. And it was obvious to me she was under a hell of a lot of stress. And I ended up saying to her, I said, look, there's three days to get married. What I want you to do is I want you to go home. I don't want you to book this as an annual leave. This is a present from me to you. I want you to go home. I just want you to focus on the marriage, you know, getting married. Because when you come back, all of this lot's still going to be here. And I'm going to expect you to really work hard on it. But just at the moment, getting married is much more important than doing all this all this work. And boy, did that create a loyal person when she came back. And that's the type of thing. It's recognizing that she was really stressed. I could have piled more pressure on her, but I took the decision that I'll take the short-term hit on work for the longer-term gain. Last one is, and I guess that sort of ties into that story actually, which is managing relationships. We've done a couple of podcasts on this type of thing recently. The one that springs to mind is sort of engagement. It's how well do you manage the relationship with other people? So, and when I say engagement, what I'm talking about is building things for a bit more of a of a long term perspective rather than just a short term perspective. How well do you recognize how other people are feeling? How well do you then start to say, well, actually, I can, this is what I therefore need to do to build this relationship. And, you know, again, if I was critical, if I look at businesses today, you know, you talk about relationship, which actually means we want the customer to give us all their money. Effectively. <laughs> Those are the yeah? best relationships. Yeah. But in fact, I was, I was replying to a, an article on LinkedIn today. They've got this new process where they ask their top voices, like my good self, to contribute to an article. And one of the things it said was about managing relationships. And too many organizations just think that it is about somebody giving you something. A relationship goes back to family, friends, is a two-way thing, isn't it? It's about compromise. It's about not getting all your own way. I mean, to be fair, highway robbery is a form of relationship, <laughs> speaking. I tell you what, would that be interesting if the highway robber went on that 360-degree training <laughs> that I went on all those years ago? Now, how do you feel about the fact that I'm taking your money? <laughs> yeah, it goes back to that, those old ones, doesn't it? Stand or deliver, the money or your life. <laughs> there you go. Remember those old ones? But yeah, managing relationships is the is the other one. So 
if I took a step back and said, okay, so what's the key takeaways? The key takeaways are if you want to become a good leader, if you want to provide a good experience for your customer, if you've got a high degree of emotional intelligence, which you can learn, or I would say, moreover, release that potential, recognize the fact that it's okay to talk about emotions. It's okay to recognize the emotions in others and in yourself and manage them. The more you become self-aware, the more you realize the impact that you have on others and others can have on you. And that only improves your relationships if you manage it in the right way and improves the experience that you give customers. What's your take on all of this? What have you learned? Yeah, no, a a lot. Uh, First, I'll reemphasize what I already mentioned. These are apparently learnable skills, right? So it's not like the difficulty of improving your IQ score by trying to study uh, various things. This is very different. These are, are things that you can get feedback on, that you can change. They're malleable. So that's one. I was also struck by the fact that three out of the five of these are self-focused. Learning about the idea of emotional intelligence, I'd assumed it would be like 80 or 90% empathy. So you're emotionally intelligent if you know what's going on with other people. But apparently it's 20% that. And 60% is knowing yourself and regulating yourself. So if you want to improve your emotional intelligence, focus on yourself. That can feel very selfish. That can feel decadent to say, I'm going to take time for me. I'm going to introspect. I'm going to figure out what's going on with me. I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to you know, figure out what's going on in my own head. That is apparently, based on this framework, the best place to start and the most useful place to uh, improve your emotional intelligence. So do it. Last thing I would say is, I've used that knowledge of how I am feeling and how others feel in the design of customer experiences. I don't think you can help but become a more empathetic person and better at managing relationships if you improve understanding your own emotions and managing your own emotions. I, I don't. I think these things have to be integrated. But that seems like the most accessible place to start is figuring out what's going on in your own head. Well, just realizing that I've just got an email through from this company. I'm feeling annoyed now. Why am I feeling annoyed? What is it that they've said or done that's made me feel annoyed? Ah, it's that. That gives you an insight to what to do to change something. Or I'm feeling, we haven't mentioned it for a while, I'm feeling Apple are a good company. Why is that? You know, what is it that they're doing or whatever else? That can make you go, all right, so, you know, if you start to do those things, then you start to improve your experience, yeah? Well, I hope that's been of use to everybody. And if you have any questions on it, then obviously just reach out to us. You can actually drop us an email at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. Dot com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. Look forward to talking to you. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. 
Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.